from the dawn of time, when the first caveman closed his fist and put it through another man's face, the art of striking was born. But then, there is the age-old art of grappling. Which is better? Why not combine the two? But wait, how do you make it all work together? How do you know when to use what? Hear the answers to these questions and more in today's episode titled Striking with Grappling Arts. From the dojo to the octagon, we bring you the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast! Welcome to another edition of the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast. This is your co-host, Sri, and with me is Shihan Russell St. Hilaire, 7th degree black belt in Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu, and with us is a special guest, Sensei Matt Bryars, 3rd degree black belt in Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. Welcome to the show, Sensei. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being there. How are you doing today, Sri? Doing fine. Today, we're going to talk about striking with grappling arts. That's one of my favorite subjects. I know a lot of grapplers that do jujitsu really discount the the striking arts. They start out with the concept of closing the distance and, and taking somebody down and using some sort of grappling technique or submission to, to defeat them. And, you know, we all love doing that. But I think Striking has a, a huge important piece in self-defense when you're doing when you're doing jujitsu and the grappling arts. And so to to not practice those together can really be dangerous. You can't do them separately and then think you can just glue them together because there's timing and there's flow that happens when you have striking and grappling together that that have to be practiced together. You have to know how to go right from a strike and then directly into a grappling technique or start a grappling technique and use striking in order to cause the person to make another movement so that you can use more jujitsu. So I think we should chat about how those things flow together, what things might be the most interesting and effective strikes that you can use in grappling and jujitsu and go from there. What do you think? I think that sounds like a great idea. And I, I think I couldn't couldn't have said it better myself that uh, completely agree with you that there's this jujitsu and then there's this chaotic space from where jujitsu can happen and you know in the outside range to that chaotic space in the middle to where we get to our jujitsu, which is just really confusing and you know, I think chaotic. Having the ability to add strikes or set things up that puts you in a position to use your jujitsu is an essential skill. I believe most modern jujitsu self-defense systems ignore. And that's uh, something I'm personally passionate about. And I know, Shion, you're uh, right at the uh, same belief there. Absolutely. Yeah. When I was doing um, combative stuff with military and, and police, and, you know, striking is a big part of it. There's no question about it. I think the flow that really makes somebody be able to do self-defense incredibly well is when an attack happens, it's first of all, it's the natural reaction, right? It's that untrained reaction that every human has, which is either going to be push away danger or it's going to be to cover. Okay. I don't know what the person's going to do, you know, when maybe they're, you know, getting punched in the head, maybe they're going to splay their arms out and try to keep them away, or maybe they're going to cover their head. It's going to be one of those two. It's, it's, you know, it's a well-proven fact. And then to be able to transition right from, let's just say, covering your head directly into some kind of strikes and then use your grappling and throwing techniques directly after that. I think that's really the essence of, of effective self-defense. Can you, I mean, I know, you know, Matt, obviously with Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu, we've done a lot of that, but you've also done some other extensive studies on how that flow works. Yeah. Do you want to maybe talk about that a little bit? Sure. And I'll kind of back it up a little bit is, sure. you, know, you know, obviously the Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu, we, 
we, we, we did a lot of striking and, and stuff like that that really was effective and made sense to me. But when I started going towards the MMA and sport route, I was expecting to understand that range or that area better, how to set things up. And I really found no answers. I, I really found, well, you know, I added boxing, I added kickboxing, I added karate and all these other things. And uh, the best answer I got was from Oz was basically, you know, Oh yeah, you know, I we do like you know a jab, cross, and a hook. We just grab the back of the head and go into a tie clinch. I'm like, oh, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That's not really sounds too effective. What if a guy is on the street is punching me? What if I'm a police officer? I'm not gonna throw a jab, cross, on a hook and you know at a, a suspect and take him down. It's not doesn't that make a lot of sense. So well, that's um, where it really points at the difference between how you have to train to say be an MMA or be in the ring or what's gonna happen when there's no rules and it's completely yeah. unexpected, right? Exactly. I remember we had done a drill in Old Humboldt, which was, I forget what chart technique it was, but it was a multiple striking technique. I think it was a kneeling Kubanagi. And we did uh, multiple strikes and you kind of had us put our hands up in, in that cover, that flinch response, which, you know, um, like you said before, there's, I, I, you know, I see two major flinch responses, either, you know, sticking your hands out as a like, you know, stop or protection or covering up. You had us doing covering our head in kind of this way that allowed us to close the distance to get in and then get into that head and arm control, which you could do kneeling Kubanagi. From that, I think something sparked in the back of my brain. And then years and years and years later, you know, I started doing the the defense lab stuff, which is more of a, a very close range striking-based system, but it addresses that chaotic area where we focus on learning techniques that are both offensive and defensive in nature. For example, we take that same multiple punches attacks, you know, the kind of big heavy haymakers or straight punches coming at you, and you're not going to try to karate block them. You, you have to kind of create a structure or a frame for yourself that allows you to get into that range, take minimum damage, and then be able to apply your jiu-jitsu. So from then, right off the bat, I'm like, wow, that gives me a lot of answers. That gives me something I could play with and work with. And now after continuing study, now we're starting to see the attacking aspects of it too, is it's not just cover and enter, it's on how can I now cover, enter, hit, destroy, and use, you know, what sport would be considered illegal striking or, you know, for the real world, the real street combat, real reality combat fighting style compared to something that's sport-based, including hammer fists, heads, butts, elbows, you know, to different areas, knees, all that type of stuff, a very, you know, brutal, destructive techniques. But also sets up uh, jujitsu perfectly. So for my kind of say last three years, I've been really rediscovering some aspects of jujitsu that I, I struggled with before, particularly let's say like Aikijitsu, where I'd struggled with finding the entrances and using those cool techniques. I mean, you know, that's, you know, being able to pull off, you know, you know, so I can't think of a great technique off the top of my head like, right now. Like Ikajo or something like, like Ikajo, that. Right? Yeah, it's a great example. I mean, Ikajo, I love it. It makes sense and I love teaching it and I love the way it feels when you get it right. There's that big wave whipping effect that you get. And, and I think we do what Ikajo or Kodimakitori. Sure. I mean, you can certainly mix things, you know, you can put somebody down in yeah. Ikajo and if they, you know, give resistance, you can do Ushiro, Ushiro uh, Tosh, or I mean, there's a few other things that you can do from there, but yeah, I mean, it's a and super effective uh, technique. I love that combination, but I always had a hard time, you know, let's say finding it either during Randori or free play, whether we're doing, including striking, but now I also, now I'm seeing it more. I'm seeing, well, there it is, there it is, there it is. By just kind of applying some simple principles that we're learning and all of a sudden it's allowing me to rediscover different areas of jujitsu that I had been not ignoring, but kind of like, well, that's, you know, that might be a little different. I mean, by weapon-based technique, that might be something for something other area, but it was now allowing me to rediscover some stuff, which I really enjoy. 
Sure. Just question for you. I mean, I know I have my philosophies about striking and, and you've learned them from me, but you've also done some more in-depth training. I mean, I know you've done karate in the past and other arts. I had always found through all of my training in unrehearsed self-defense or just in like straight up, you know, like we do at the holiday bash, whatever, that although I learned a ton of different types of strikes as I was coming up through the systems, there was always this very small group that seemed to be most effective to me. And it was always the elbows, the knees, hammer fist type of stuff that you can do from the covered up position. I'm not going to go toe to toe kind of like, hey, we're going to karate spar with somebody, right? If I got distance from somebody that, that that's that far away, I'm, I'm literally going to run away, right? It's about when somebody's on me, right? They're, they've crashed into me. They're pounding my head in. They've got me held up against the side of a car. You know, I'm covering up in kind of the oh my God position. And from there, I've got to be able to transition into strikes and things like roundhouse kicks or these long, you know, ski type strikes and stuff just never really manifested themselves. It was always what could I do right from that position? Could I just cover my head, raise an elbow quick into somebody's chin or just slam down with a hammer fist or clinch and hit him with a knee? Have you found the same type of things as you've been doing this, this training? It's almost the exact same thing you're saying. When we're doing sparring, of course, we're play fighting. So, of course, right, we're right. throwing punches and kicks and all the stuff in there, too, which is just great fun. And it just helps everything. But when I personally love doing it to my guys, I, I was, like, getting in close and then just unleashing elbows and knees and hammer fists. Uh, hammer fists have been my new absolute, one of my absolute favorite weapons. Which which is hilarious, right? Because we learned Tetsuya at, like, white belt. Yeah. <laughs> and then here you are. I mean, how, how many years have you been with Kobukai now? We've got to be over 15, close to... Oh, yeah, it's definitely over 15. But, I mean, you know, that many years ago, you learned that technique, and then through just your own exploration, you're like, wow, this is probably one of the best techniques I ever learned. I don't think I was ready as a white belt to see it yet, or I I, I don't think the problem had been discovered that I needed to learn those techniques. I was just so enamored by throwing someone on their ass like oh this is the coolest thing ever <laughs> and then submitting someone so i was like you know that for me it was like you know i wasn't even thinking about that now and then after gaining some now 15 years later uh, gaining some understanding of jiu-jitsu and now i'm like well i to enhance my jiu-jitsu but what you're saying is yeah those hammer fists and the way you can start applying hammer fists from that cover like from that like a head reference point you know that cover up position mm-hmm. uh it's really cool and unique and how you can deliver those shots and set things up has really just been a lot of fun for me and really eye-opening. I, I remember, I think it was last year at the Holiday Bash, I was just, I was just starting to play more and more of the Hammer Fist concept. And I remember, there's a video of it, but I know there might not have been this one, but I remember one of my guys, I won't mention his name. You know, I remember, first- I was literally standing right next to you guys and I was just like, wow, he is pounding yes. these guys down so bad right now. Two shots, like boom, boom. And <laughs> it was like, all of a sudden he's on the ground and said, that's enough. I'm like, Whoa, cool. <laughs> right. And and if I remember right, it was just literally from kind of a cover position, right? From the head reference point and dude, this person's all over you and you're really just in protective mode and then boom, just unleash. Yeah. And it was two shots. And I was like, I'm like, wow. So that to me was, it was really eye opening. And, and I'd, I'd hope to think my skill levels have progressed since then. But it was just like, wow, that's something cool. Because I was completely defensive, meaning he wasn't going to be able to get to me, you know? So if you take that pure self defense, position or situation where you're in the atm you're pinned you got nowhere to go you have to protect your family whatever it is where there's no opportunity to run and you're in a defensive position and you could deliver and do something like that then that's man that's that's good it's really good 
So Sri, I got a I got a question for you. You know, I know and we've probably mentioned this in in past podcasts, but I know you spent a long time doing traditional karate and obviously a much larger array of striking than you know we're referencing here. From your viewpoint now, when you see how we do striking in alignment with grappling, what sort of questions or discoveries have you you know have you found at your level uh, along the way, and what things might Sensei Matt or or myself might be able to you know answer some questions for you today? Thank you, Shion. Well, number one, I did Shotokan karate, and the style I practiced it in, it was virtually zero contact or light contact. What they did was tell us that we should aim in front of the body and use full force in our strike, like a front punch. For the 10 or so years that I practiced this art, I never actually punched somebody. So when I came here, it was a whole different experience for me. And what I thought was a honed straight punch was completely ineffective. For the most part, I haven't had the will to use it after what I learned here. From that vantage point, and similarly, other martial arts, I won't name any, but they typically tend to use a lot of strikes or they want you to do it even from a self-defense context. You have average people like maybe myself, my size, women who they're encouraging to do lots of strikes. Is that realistic? Or are we setting ourselves up for very seriously hurting ourselves? I'm pretty adamant about this subject. I'm a bigger guy compared to you, Shri, and compared to women. And if someone straight punched me or punched me in the face, and and which has happened on many times, and I'm probably not going to really get that affected by it, especially now being a woman, you add that into that. But then again, if a woman tries to grapple me in jiu-jitsu, the same thing. What what is she going to do? So I believe that obviously any martial art is a good martial art for, for any self-defense. is better than nothing. But I think that you have to have an equalizer for small people or small for women. And this is, I don't know if I'll get in trouble for saying this, but it's like, I think women need to have you know a weapon or something, or something of a weapon of opportunity, something that they could put in their hands not necessarily a gun or a knife or something like that, something that's easily readily available that they can level a playing field. So if a, a bigger like guy like me grabs him, bear hugs him, what can she grab or do that is going to allow her to use striking, but also in a more strategic way or in a different way that allows her to level a playing field? Because I don't think that a normal woman, no offense to them, of course, but it's just this is science. You know, they're just structurally, you know, smaller and weaker that that's gonna be hard for them to deal with an aggressive bigger attacker not going into the mindset of self-defense that women need also need to have to be able to portray themselves as you know not victims but i think that you need to have a tool set or something they can use that allows them like a flashlight my everyday carry is not a knife anymore it's a flashlight i think that's a great you know self-defense weapon because it has both the the light to blind but also blunt objects that you can hit with i think that if they are doing uh, learning uh, a self-defense system, for instance, uh, like you use like the hammer fist as an example, put a hammer fist, uh, put a flashlight or a pen or something in your hand and doing a hammer fist, the strike is still effective. Straight punch, kind of. But if you start doing those type of things, I, I think that can really change a level of playing field a little bit because let's be honest, fighting a bigger, stronger, aggressive attacker is not going to be easy for anybody who is smaller. So that's that's my little shtick on that. Right. I mean, I would say I'm in full agreement with that. I guess maybe I would, we could say it could be a woman, but I I really think like what you said at the very end is really what the situation is that you have to deal with. And it's, it's really body size and density, right? So, I mean, I know plenty of, you know, 130 pound guys, 
right, who are five foot seven, and and I know a bunch of you know women that are the same size, and and I think at the end of the day, you're six foot and two hundred and something pounds. It's that's the reality of self-defense. And if your instructors aren't having you deal with that reality, then they're really, really doing you a disservice. Having the, the weapon of opportunity, absolutely. Maybe striking is the weapon of opportunity. And it's certainly not going to be, um, you know, throwing some classic, you know, Yoko Gary sidekick and thinking I'm going to really make a dent, you know, in this in this big guy, right? It's It's about picking the advantageous moment from a psychological standpoint when they really feel like, hey, they're they got you. And then, you know, using your elbows, using your knees, you know, hitting, yeah. them in the, hitting them in the soft spots, doing something to allow you to disengage and escape. If you're not Ronda Rousey, that's been training since she was a little kid and was an Olympic judo champion and then jujitsu champion and MMA champion. If you're not that, if you're just this everyday person that gets up and takes care of their kids and goes to work and, you know, that kind of thing. You, number one, have to train really, really hard. Number two, you have to make yourself stronger. You can't just go by that old thinking of, you know, the 120-pound guy that beats the big guy, right? you got to make yourself physically stronger, and you've got to use whatever method possible, striking, takedowns, whatever it is, to disengage and escape. That's really got to be the plan for the smaller, weaker person. Exactly, and learning to escape, I think, is another big thing. So learning, if you are going to learn anything, learning jujitsu escapes, like how to get out of, uh, guard, get out of sight, someone's pinned on top of you, how to use those movements, and then using the big weapons, like a weapon opportunity, using the knees, the elbows, the headbutts, the clawing, the grabbing, anything that you can do to survive. And I think that, yeah, it does not apply just to women, but that was kind of the, the my, my thought on that. But yeah, anybody small, they have to be viciously brutal to get out and have the mindset to survive. But I do think that if you're just talking pure striking, that's right, you're Ronda Rousey. I don't, I don't see much... I don't see smaller, smaller people really doing a great deal of damage uh, on an aggressive attacker because there's just too much of a difference. So. There is. The physics are not in their favor <clears throat> at right. all. I'm smaller than than Matt, but I'm not a, I'm not a small guy. You know, I've been doing jujitsu for 35 years, and when I had to face you on your black belt test, what was my technique of choice immediately? It kicked me right in the junk. <laughs> kick, kick you in the junk and punch you in the head, right? Because, you know, the reality of self-defense is exactly what you're saying, right? You, you've you got to dominate quickly and escape. I mean, that, that's the reality of it. Uh, I think sometimes, and this will be a whole other podcast, I think sometimes people who spend too much time in the, the sport version of grappling arts set up this framework, this decision framework in their head about solving everything with grappling, where opportunities arose to strike or to escape or literally just to stand up and start again. They don't make those choices because part of that game is is points and submission. And in real life, that's going to get you in a lot of trouble. We all love grappling. We love Nawaza rolling, right? That's, I mean, it's one of the funnest things in the world, but not my first choice in a real life situation. I mean, again, love love the sportive aspects. It's a training tool. It's a sport. It's a game. It's fun. It, it hones your skill set, but it's still it's still a game. They're not, you know, self defense. Reality based self defense is not a game. I think, you know, having Nawaz and those things are inspiring is a great way to enhance your abilities, but that's not real life. And that's what people have a hard time understanding sometimes is that um, there's a big difference between rolling on the ground to having some monster trying to take your face off. <laughs> agreed agreed so can you tell me just a little bit about 
some of the techniques that you're experimenting with now, I know you're working with, I know I've seen you partnering with Sensei Juggler and, and, and a bunch of other people and, and Defense Lab. Tell me some of your favorite things where you've combined what you've learned from the striking framework with either Aikijitsu or Jiu-Jitsu and some of your favorite things and of exactly how they flow together. One of the, the concepts I've been kind of playing around with is ways to move around the body, I guess you could say, off of a, a structured frame. It was called that the defensive posture. So if I, if I got my hands up in that defensive frame, how can I now move around and hit the body and set things up based upon what he gives me, whether it be a grab, a bear hug, a punch, a haymaker, a straight punch, multiple punches, whatever, and how I can use that to set things up. So I'll use one example going comes to hammer fist uh, example. One of them be like a, a lead jab or a grab. Someone's like grabbing you with their with a lead hand. And one of these setups from there and I you know we call it you know, I, we've been calling it a gator grip, but basically it's an open hand grab slash hammer fist strike to the arm that's grabbing you. So you're basically like almost like parrying, like a very aggressive pairing. At the same time you're dropping another hammer fist right to that to the vagus nerve, to the back of the neck is which is one of my absolute favorite hits because it does cause a disconnect in the brain and then setting up a headbutt right off of that. And it's actually one of my, it's like a boom, boom, boom entering. It's very easy to hit. I pulled off during sparring, obviously not during hitting a headbutt on there, but from that one position, I am finding so much, you know, if I still have my right hand on that arm, I just pass it through. I get into my Ogoshi position. I Ogoshi. I can throw the arm away after a headbutt, go to a uh, Kubanagi Otosh. I could just do a regular, uh, you know, Kubanagi. What else are we doing? We're going swing underneath, going for uh, Urigatami. We're going for a reverse Urigami, basically, uh, well, off the brown belt chart. Uh, we always call it the Sakuraba. But there's, it's just a simple, simple thing that puts you, it's a simple, they feed you something, and then there's, an, you know, options off of that. Using that, uh, also that head reference, you know, if someone punches with the right, you know, say they're throwing a right haymaker, then two options, one we, we work on is one we kind of let the punch ride. If I have my left hand up, then my right elbow comes up the middle for a straight shot, which again will put me in a ton of throws or takedowns or allow me to attack the arm again or allow me to take that back. So, and it goes on and on and on. And I'm just, I showed you brief videos that we've been putting together, just having fun putting stuff on video and ideas of like how we can use this stuff. And I'm still honing my skills on those, you know, those type of attacks too. Cause I, and when I'm, I'm doing the videos just for me as a what am I doing wrong? What's where am I looking? How, how how's that feeling? That 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 that. It's also kind of like building a little mini library for myself to say, all right, what can I do? And if I remembered something, if I got something in my head, you know, because I think about the stuff way too much. Uh, <laughs> if I have something in my head, I can't remember it. Interesting that you're you're blending these two things together, right? So you've got this background in jujitsu for a number of years, and you know you're you're looking at these um, strikes that you already know, but put into different context and different frameworks from different positions how has the other side of the coin right so how how have some of the people that you've been working with on the defense lab side seen how their striking techniques go into jujitsu techniques that they they may not know uh, have they have they found that interesting at all have they asked questions about any of that to you well some of them you know because our our sparring is basically like is mma except when it gets to the ground i give them like 10 seconds to get back up and if they can't get back up it's over with Right. Um, so it's the striking. And I also throw in two versus one. So we play a game we call sniper. You, uh, so say you and Shri are sparring and two other guys are sparring over there and I'm just kind of waiting my turn. And then I'll, you know, I'll say, okay, get them. And then you start getting another guy. So now you're fighting two guys at once. And that's, I think it's a great drill because it really, you have to have extreme control because I mean, chance for injury is high, but 
my guys are gotten honed in. But let's just back it up a little bit. They love the jiu-jitsu. They love the takedowns, the throws, and that type of stuff. But they don't know enough about it. So they get a little frustrated when I suddenly get in on them. They know they're going for a ride. Um, <laughs> and that's – and that's. but I say, well, you know, this is defense lab class. Uh, Kobukai jiu-jitsu is tomorrow at the same time. If you want to jump in, you jump in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm not teaching you jiu-jitsu now. That's not the focus. If uh, I think you know Evan. One of uh, he's a yellow sure. on Cobra Kai now, and he's been with me quite a long time. Kid pisses me off because he's shown one thing, and all of a sudden he just pulls it off the next day. It's like, what the hell's wrong with you? Sounds like Kenny. Uh, yeah. Back in the um, day. Seriously. So he basically used defense up striking. Yeah. To basically hit a transitional Sukui Nagi on a state open wrestling champion who was 5'8", 180 pounds, jacked. I mean, this kid's huge. <laughs> I mean, even, and Evan sent him, launched him. I was like, we were just talking about it, showed it like yesterday. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? you know, but That's it, awesome. It, it, it was a beautiful transition. And they see that stuff and they're like, wow, that's just cool. And um, well, that points at so a really important point of striking because striking can also be a distraction, right? Yeah. If, if you're with this state champion wrestler, I'm imagining, and you just say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to sneak in and try to do a Sakui Nagi, right? He's probably going to plant you, right? But, you know, after he took a move and then all of a sudden now he's finding himself having to cover because he's getting hit with a barrage of things, then you have that opportunity that you wouldn't have had before. It was funny, though. it was all off that head reference again. So I think, I forget what the setup it was, but basically like, he was either defending from that head reference or using it to kind of move around a little bit and then just basically step forward. Uh, TJ, the wrestler, got a little close uh, and Evan switched his stance to step right, step forward right behind him and just, he didn't put, you know, it, it just blasted right through him and it, it still was like, oh my God. And it was just like, <laughs> it was really clean and really, it was like perfect technique because it was chaotic. He didn't get hit. He didn't take damage. And he just put himself right in that, that perfect position to just launch a guy. I mean, that's to me, that was beautiful. So I see a lot of the jiu-jitsu guys are really, especially the guys who have a good open mind like Evan and who are more into Kobukai class, love, love seeing that stuff more. Like, for instance, Kobukai, I do, I show them a little bit. I add a little bit into them. I give them a little taste of it so they can have some sort of answers for some of the striking. And just like in the same thing with DL, I show them a couple takedowns or submissions. Saturdays we do kind of a special call a class. I just rename the DNA jits where we just do combine <laughs> a little bit of you know the fence lab techniques with some of the arm locks and and, and the submissions or the, the the movements. One of our kind of favorites is playing you know playing with multiple tackles. We're using like some of the uh, I'll show you some other time. Really cool like Udi from the standing position set up and you can use use your attacker as a shield against the other guy. It's just a fun, cool drill that gives you, you know, gives you a lot, allows you to play around a little bit and see all the things that you can do from those techniques and, and how you can start plugging in both the jiu-jitsu and the defense lab techniques. So That's awesome. Well, I'm hoping that, you know, this yeah. conversation for the people that are listening to the podcast is really kind of sending a message, right? If you're doing jiu-jitsu, right? say you're doing Kobukai jiu-jitsu, but you're doing whatever jiu-jitsu, you're doing some kind of self-defense, Krav Maga, whatever it is. At the beginning, you're going to be taught some strikes, you're going to be taught some takedowns. But I, I think when you're being taught systems, you have to remember that these are methods to teach you things. They're not exactly what is going to happen. And you have to explore these things on your own, on your own time, in your own mind, ask questions about geez, I'm, I'm moving right here. Wouldn't this be the perfect place for an elbow? Yeah, yeah. maybe your sensei didn't just show you that an elbow should go there. But your brain picks up on these things. And, and I don't think as students they should discount them, right? They should say, hey, 
this is exactly where I could do a hammer fist or an elbow or like, wouldn't it make sense to put a knee in right here? It doesn't, doesn't matter that somebody isn't specifically showing you at the moment to become a good martial artist. You have to have self exploration of that art. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the message I'd like to have come away from this conversation today is striking plays a very, very integral part in self-defense. It's, it's the ability to distract, to damage, you could take somebody out with a strike. It helps you to escape both standing and on the ground. And it can't be fancy, right? It's really got to come from one of the two, you know, flinch response positions. And it's it's got to be very simple and easy to execute and, and effective. If people keep that in mind and, and think about how striking should be pretty much in every technique they do, then they're going to get a much better sense of what the reality of self-defense is. Couldn't have said it better myself. And there's one add-on is that even though mixed martial arts and all-in boxing, kickboxing are great and they're cool, that's not that's not self-defense. That's not. I think the striking that we're talking about needs is, is like you said, it needs to be coming from those those two flinch responses that are natural, instinctual, simple but brutal. But we're not talking about learning boxing or, or you know kyokushin and trying to then apply it to jiu-jitsu. Though some of those techniques will have a carryover. That's not really the what I think we're both suggesting for uh, a, a combative-based jiu-jitsu training. Sri, what else can we tell you today? Just a quick question. Is there any situation where striking is not to be used, and conversely, when is striking only to be used to avoid uh, jiu-jitsu and grappling? For my thought, striking from a pure self-defense, I think if you're in a, a pure, big, multiple attacker situation, like a chaotic, I don't want to get really tied up with one guy and go to the ground, maybe transitional takedown or trip that's fine but i don't want to get into a long grapple with someone so maybe striking to move and escape is better there pure jujitsu i think if uh i always use the drunk uncle technique and uh or thought but <laughs> i've got a, i've got a drunk uncle or a buddy who's just had too many he's a little out of control a little aggressive yeah i don't want to be busting him up with strikes i want to control him or i think police officers nowadays with being on camera they've got to be much more aware of how they apply techniques so i think if you're trying to control some do not necessarily harm or hurt. Uh, that's what jiu-jitsu gives you that power. It gives you both the power to control, but also to hurt. And that's that's really up to you. And you have to uh, you have to decide and you have to have that control within yourself. And, and I think pure striking would be used if you are in a really, it's just something went really from multiple different angles and you have to move quickly and you can't get tied up to one person. I think that's what striking would become more effective. That's great. Awesome. Thank you. I'm really glad that you joined us today, Sensei Briars. It was really, really super informative. Absolutely. Well, listen, you know, I, I want to kind of close this out by doing a shameless plug for Matt and, and his fantastic facility in Cromwell, Connecticut's Jiu-Jitsu and Strength Academy. He's got multiple programs that go on there. It's something for everybody from exercise to strongman, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, self-defense Jiu-Jitsu, defense lab, lots of lots of different things that you know, he offers to all the students. If you're interested in, in finding out a lot more about what we were talking about today, about how to learn this truly effective striking style and maybe even combining it with your grappling training and you're in Connecticut, definitely stop by his place in Cromwell. I definitely highly regard Matt as, as a great instructor. I know Sri, you've had plenty of chances to you know, work out at his school along with the other, other Kobukai schools and, and you know it's a, a real high-end, high-quality facility. Thank you very much, Chad.